So uh, as some of you know, I'm doing a, a series at the moment called How to Survive Financial Famine, which is, uh, let's be honest, has now already begun. It's uh, also worse in other countries. Britain's having it quite easy at this so far, but it'll only be a matter of time. We've got, um, so we got some notifications from people living in Germany that the, like the price of chicken went from four euros to 25 euros. Um, the price of bag of flour went from something like 75 cents, went up to five euros. Uh, and massive shortages of food out there because obviously a lot of their food comes from Ukraine and various other sources and Ukraine actually supplies 20% of our food as well um, and so th these are things that are coming and so I felt a while ago uh, that God told me that you know you got to teach on these principles to help the church to thrive not just survive during a time of financial famine I mean, no disrespect, but you guys are old enough. You've been through, uh, you've been through some, some rough bumps financially in the past. And we had the thing in the 70s and then, you know, and the, I don't think anyone's here from the Great Depression. <laughs> oh, there is. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that, that was obviously a really bad time. But as I studied church history, one of the things I noticed about um, financial famines is that they were actually uh, melting pots for revival. So if you look in the 1800s with the long recession, then we had the Great Awakening. If you then look at the 1930s depression in America, then you had the whole Pentecostal awakening that just took the world by storm. Uh, and every single time that we've had these uh, financial famines, it's actually been a time uh, of growth for the church. And so I'm teaching these things because I don't want people to come out into Titchfield Town and come in this church and they see Christians all running back and forth like headless chickens going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, because they'll just go straight back out the door and join everyone else who's going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. We need to have an answer, yeah, because we do have the answer. Uh, but it's not just having the correct answer, it's living the answer, okay? And so today, uh, what I want to talk about is faith and patience. Oh, we love those two words, don't we? Faith, yes, amen, brother Chris. And then patience, oh, so we're going to look at this aspect of faith, which a lot of Christians don't really like, if we're honest, because we live in the microwave generation, don't we? Stick it in the microwave, two minutes and ding, it's ready. Although, you know, you ever put a baked potato in a, micro a microwave and after 10 minutes it's ready. I mean, it's just this whole sweaty, yucky, slimy thing that doesn't, it's just, ugh, that's not ready. Um, but anyway, someone will just go, oh, this is great, it's a baked potato. Well, it ain't baked, it's just hot. Um, but anyway, so we're, we're this microwave generation, okay, and, and we just like everything to be instant. Uh, but when it comes to the things of faith, sometimes it's not always instant. Uh, sometimes things take a little bit of time to grow. Um, so, you know, a farmer, well, let's, let's use this illustration. We're up on the field, you know, we plant lots of food, lots of stuff. We, we take a seed and there's a process. So, you know, some of those seeds can go direct in the ground, but some don't. So some of them you've got to put in these little pots and you pop it in there and you've got to water it every day and make sure it's okay. And then it starts to grow. And then when it grows, you know, you've got to keep watering it. And then you need to hardy it. So when it gets to a certain size, you've got to then take it outside for a little bit, you know, get it climatized to outside and bring it back in again. And then after a little bit of that, then you can put it in the ground. Uh, and then you still got to watch over it and care for it and tend for it. And eventually it grows up into a crop and then you can eat it. All right. So there's a process, isn't there? It's, but when it comes to spiritual things, it's almost like we just, we just switch off our, our normal brain. And I don't know what kind of mode we go into. It's like, it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. But actually it is working. But don't 
destroy what's trying to grow with your lack of faith or your lack of understanding of how faith works. So we're going to look at a little bit about that today. Um, hallelujah. So, and God wants us to get to the place of overflow when it comes to the things of faith. And what do I mean by that? I mean is this. A farmer, when he goes out to his farm, he doesn't get one single solitary seed and put it in the ground. And then when it's, grow, when it's grown, he then gets another seed, puts that in the ground. And then when it's grown, but that's how we are as Christians, isn't it? We're like, I'll just believe for this one thing. And then I'll just believe for this thing. <laughs> and then uh, it's like, no, come on, guys. You, you've got to have lots of stuff going on all the time. So, so you're in a constant state of sowing, reaping, stuff that's halfway there. You know, like, like people that make wine, okay? The cheap and nasty wine from, no, I don't think Sainsbury's sell cheap and nasty wine. I say Asda's, right? Asda's. Cheap and nasty wine, right? That's the stuff that was grown on year one and then it was put in vats and then year two it sold to the public. But then a good winery will not just have the cheap stuff, it'll have stuff that has been brewing for five years. So, you know, it's a nicer wine. It can charge a little bit more for that. And then you've got the real nice stuff that's been fermenting for like 10 years, okay? When I was in Israel recently, they took us to, um, up to this kibbutz where they made wine. And the 10-year wine that was soaked in, in, in oak tubs, man, you could taste it. It tasted the difference. Cheap stuff had a bit of an acidy taste. The stuff that had been left to mellow for 10 years, that's good. So what I'm saying is, it's like a good winery. You've got lots of stuff going on all of the time. And you've always got wine coming to season, even though you've still got other stuff that's taking its time. But you've always got stuff coming to season. And it should be the same for us as Christians. We've always got to have stuff coming into season whilst we're still maturing and growing and developing other things that we're believing for. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay, good. So it's common sense, right? So... To look at faith and patience, we need to turn to Romans chapter 4. Of course, we're going to look at Ab a bit on Abraham today. Because that was a man who <laughs> had to be patient. And we know what happened when he wasn't patient. It cost us a problem that we're still living with today. So verse 17, chapter 4 and verse 17. This is... God speaking here, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. This is talking about Abraham and before him, whom he believed, even God, who makes alive the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. So this verse starts with, I have called you the father of many nations. So what's this, this, this piece of scripture here is referring to the passage in Genesis where God comes to Abraham or Abraham and he changes his name. He changed his name from Abraham, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Okay, what's peculiar about this is that Abraham is anything but the father of many nations. So he's probably around about 75 when uh, God changes his name, gives him the promise of a son. Okay, so God says to this guy who's completely barren, and so is his wife, Sarai, who God changes her name to Sarah. So she goes from uh, what's her name mean? So she went, her name means princess, woman of strength. But when it was changed from Sarai to Sarah, it still means princess, but with a, a more weightier term denoting her queenliness, sorry, queenliness and her exaltedness to denote her upcoming stature as a matriarch of the people of Israel. So why is God changing Abraham's name to Abraham, even though he is quite clearly not the father of many nations and quite clearly he's not going to be the father of nations for a long time yet? Not that he knows that. OK, it's because God has changed his name 
because God is now calling those things which are not as though they were. Okay, this is the language of faith to call those things that are clearly not as though they were. All right. So what does this teach us? This is teaching us when, you know, it says in Ephesians 5, I think it says, uh, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Okay, you can imitate God. You're encouraged to do so. Okay, so instead of being mean, you can be happy like Jesus. All right, instead of being grumpy, you can be uh, full of grace and joy like Jesus. Okay, we have these choices to to be like Him, but but in this instance, God wants to encourage us to be like Him, to call those things that are not as though they were. Now, I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'll get to that in a minute, but. Um, God wants us to start thinking and acting and talking like he does. You see, changing the name of Abraham to Abraham may have seen a bit like an oxymoronic joke. Well, I'm calling you these things, but you clearly are not. And so the poor guy had to go around to all his friends, say, hey, guys, I've changed my name. (laughs) Yeah, I'm no longer called Abraham. I'm now father of many nations. Yeah, father of many nations. Now, like, mate, you're crazy. Because clearly you are not father of many nations. You're even father of one, let alone a nation. Okay, but that's the language of faith, isn't it? How many times have you seen Christians that are believing for stuff and they've seen it? But let's be honest, when they were believing for it, it was like, oh, brother so-and-so, he's a loon. He's saying these things that quite clearly aren't true. But to him, they are true because he's received something from God, a prophetic vision or a word or something from scripture, and he's walking in those truths. And that person will get it if he doesn't lose heart. And that's the, that's the thing we must do. And so give you an example. I'll give you a couple of examples here. Um, a few, about a year and a half ago, I broke my foot, right? Now I'd done it before, so I knew it would work. Now I broke my foot, man, I broke it so bad. It was just to even walk on it made me feel, I just felt like I was going to be sick. It was so painful. It was just excruciating. But I thought, well, you know, I need my foot for my job because I've got to pace around. I can't do this when I'm preaching, can I? This is hardly a good witness. I, I, can't, I can't be like that. So, and so I knew that I had to believe that God would heal my foot by faith. <laughs> so uh, when I broke it, I was like, I was out with the kids. I said, right, Tracy, I said, let's, let's go out for a walk. You can't go for a walk with your foot like that. You need to say, no, I'm not. I'm going to go out for a walk on it because I need my foot and God's, God's healed it before when I did it and he'll heal it again. And I remember taking the kids for a walk in this, this woodland, country woodland, going uphill, downhill. Man, I was in so much pain. I had to keep stopping to try and not be sick. The pain was so awful. And I just kept saying, no, by his stripes, I'm healed. My God has healed me. My God has healed me. My God has healed me. And I went to bed that night still in loads of pain. I woke up the next day and it was completely healed. Praise God. But I knew that it would work because it happened to me before. I shut the door once on my foot like that. What a stupid thing to do. You shut the door, car door on your foot. I mean, who does that? Anyway, I shut the door on my foot. It kind of went all numb and felt fine. But then, and then I got out of the car and said, oh man, the pain. And again, I just believe God would heal it because I need my foot and, uh, and he healed me as well. The other day I was walking uh, a few weeks ago, again, after I had my heart problems, I still had quite a lot of weird stuff going on in my heart. And I was walking up the Titchfield Hill and I, and I was saying, you know, by his stripes I'm healed, by his stripes. And, and the Holy Spirit said to me really clearly, stop thinking you're healed and know you're healed. And I thought, oh, I get it now. It's not, it's not I think I'm healed, it's I know I'm healed. And then suddenly everything just went fine and it worked. But, you know, there's this place of faith and patience where sometimes it's instant. 
sometimes as a journey. Now, not everybody, I wouldn't recommend if you break your foot that you do what I did, because that's that is a little bit nutty. But you, if, you, if, you're, if you're struggling to have faith for God to heal a headache, then maybe stepping out into getting God to heal your broken foot might not be quite where you're at yet. We all, wherever we are, you see, you see, we're all at different places in our walk with God, but we've got to push ourselves and grow and develop our faith, amen? And that's the thing, because we're all given a measure of it, and it's up to us to develop it. Hallelujah. Um, okay, so where am I? Um, now, the world says, you know, uh, seeing is believing, but with Christianity, it's the other way around. It's believing is seeing because if you're believing it you've already seen it even though you haven't physically seen it okay that's the walk of faith hallelujah now let's take for example our english translations of the bible i i have translations of the bible that don't say it like most english translations do they actually say what the greek says or the hebrew says where in our english translations like the lord's prayer Oh, let us this day have our daily needs. That's not what it says. It's much more affirmative. It's like, God, give me my daily needs, which sounds quite arrogant. So they don't allow, they don't translate it. But that's what it says, because it's in covenant relationship. You, you, you have access to things from God, but a lot of Christians don't either don't know it or, or don't want to impose on God. Oh, God, I'm sorry, you're so busy. You're, I, I couldn't possibly impose on you. And it's like, oh, come on, guys. So, for example, in, in the book of Genesis in chapter one, in our English translations, it says, oh, let there be light. Let there be light. Isn't that so superfluous and lovely? OK, but that's not what it says in the Hebrew. It says, light be. It's a forceful activation. God speaks it and it happens. He doesn't ask in a permissive kind of nice English kind of way. Oh, please, could you possibly have some light in here, please? Please, that's a terribly, 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 thank you. No, light be. And then there was light. God literally spoke into existence that which didn't exist a moment before. God calls those things that are not as though they were. Okay, and that's how the universe came into being. Now, have you ever wondered how God actually created the heavens and the earth? I don't know, maybe it's a question you should think about right now. How did he do that? I'll tell you how he did it. If you turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And we come to verse 3. And it says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Okay, again, calling those things that are not as though, as though they were. But it says, through faith we understand the worlds of God were, sorry, the worlds were framed by the word of God. Through faith. Now this is how most Christians would read this, this verse. Through faith we understand that God created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> what we say is, well, what that means is, forgive me being sarcastic, but what that means is, is we believe and trust that Jesus created the universe by faith, as it says in Genesis 1, although we don't really believe that because we rather believe the, his, the scientific narrative and take scripture and try to force it into the scientific narrative to make that fit. Just like the scientist who doesn't believe in God, also by faith, believes that he thinks the world came from uh, into being from absolute nothing. Okay, That's not what this text is saying. This text is saying, through faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God. God used faith to create the universe. Oh, but then the Christian goes, oh, Chris, God doesn't need faith in himself to know that he can do that. 
And that's because our understanding of faith is completely wrong in comparison to what Scripture is teaching us. And I'll show you in just a minute. We think faith is simple trust, don't we? Let's be honest, that's what we think faith is. Faith is surely just a simple trust in God. Well, that's human faith. Human faith is if I get on a bus from Fareham to Gospel, I have a degree of trust or faith that that driver is going to get me from Fareham to Gospel, not Fareham to Bournemouth. Okay? And if I do end up at Bournemouth, it's probably because my own stupid fault for not reading the sign at the front. But anyway, I generally have faith that the guy is going to get me there. If I get on a plane, I don't think, uh oh, is this, is this the day the pilot's just going to crash the No, I have faith that the guy is going to get me from A to B. But that's not the faith that the Bible talks about. That's trust. Okay? Now, I know I'm probably messing with your head a little bit, and I'll give you all scriptures that you need in just a minute. Okay. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, We're saved by grace through faith. But then it goes on to say, But that not of your own, but it is a gift of God. God gives you faith to believe in him so that you can get born again. Well, hang on a minute. If faith is just trust, then what is it that God is giving me that enables me to supernaturally believe for something and, and actually create this creative miracle that literally transforms and makes me into a new creation? That's not trust. This is something that's coming from God, given to me to enable me to be that which he is trying to birth in me. And we know from the uh, fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is it 22 to 23? The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, and self-control. And then it says in most English translations, faithfulness. Do yourself a favor, get a pen, and where it says fullness, scrub it out. Because that's not what it says in the Greek. It says faith. Now I could read Greek, and it says in the Greek, faith. The reason why translators translate as faithfulness is again because I don't think a lot of people really understand what faith is. They just think it means faith, means just trusting God, trusting God. But it's not, it's so much more than that. So that's interesting, isn't it? So faith is, it's imparted to us to help us get saved. Faith is also a fruit of the Spirit, which means it's an attribute of God. Okay? All right, you're with me? It's part of His nature. It says in Romans 12, 3, that we're given, an, we're given a measure of faith. So how can you be given something that is just trust? It's something quantifiable. I'm sort of running ahead of myself here a little bit, um, and I'll get to more of that in a minute. So when God speaks into being, he's using the supernatural power that belongs to him, and he's using something of his own nature, which is faith, to get the job done. God used faith and the word to create the heavens and the earth. This is not just positive thinking. This is not just tr simple trust. This is something supernatural. Because this is 12, Romans 12, 3 says, we've all been given a measure of faith. That's been given to us by who? God. All right, and it's only for believers, this measure of faith. God has given to us a measure of faith. So if it's just merely a passive trust that you and I have, like I trust the bus driver, okay, this is not that. Because why, how could God give you something, a measure of something, if it's just merely trust? Okay. And it says in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So faith is substance in some way. 
And that is what God has given to us. He's given us a measure of something. And why does it say then in in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 that one of the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit is faith? If faith is just merely trusting in God, a passive, just, I just believe, okay, how is it that God gives and imparts a supernatural measure of faith to to be able to be empowered to expect God to do something beyond the norm? So faith, therefore, can't just simply be natural human trusting. It's something beyond that, and it's something God himself uses when he created the universe. We could go to a lot more time into this, but I don't really have a lot of time. But yeah, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, it talks about faith, uh, you know, as being one of the power gifts of the Holy Spirit that's imparted to us as well. It's a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit will give as he so desires. So, so far, we've looked about faith, obviously not a lot on patience yet. So I just wanted to park that on faith. Now, patience, um, or yeah, patience basically means to be consistent under pressure. Now, people who are not very patient is where things just start to go a little bit wrong and go, oh, 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 goodness me. Okay, because they're not patient people. A little bit of pressure and they go bang like a pressure cooker, yeah? Uh, Or a bad pressure cooker. They just explode. But a person that has got patience developed in them is you can put the pressure on them, but they won't go bang, yeah? They won't like it. They'll feel uncomfortable, but they won't go bang. Okay, that's what patience is. Patience is the ability to remain consistent under pressure. So, getting interesting now. Now let's turn to Hebrews 6.12. So we know what faith is, kind of. It's something that's given to us by God. We've given a measure of it. It's a fruit of the Spirit so we can grow in it and develop it. It's something that we're all given a measure of, and it's something that enables us to get saved. And in Hebrews 6.12, it says, Do not be slothful or lazy, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Do not be slothful. That's a nice old English word for don't be lazy. (laughs) Don't be lazy. We've got, in other words, the walk of faith takes patience, takes effort, takes consistency, and some days you've got to just keep on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, even though when you don't want to. I imagine it can be like a marathon runner. They they get to that point where they hit the wall, where it's like they feel like their body can't go any further. But as a people of faith and as a good marathon runner, you just got to work through that barrier. Because anytime you're believing and trusting God for something, mark my words, the enemy will do what he can to put that wall in front of you, to discourage you and to annul that which you're believing for and make you give up and quit. Okay, that's why Paul says, I run the race to win the crown. Yeah, you know, and he says, he uses an athlete uh, sort of says, he says, you know, uh, I'm I'm developing my thing of faith, you know, like like a boxer, making himself fit, making himself strong. He just got to keep on and keep on and keep on to win that crown and win those rewards and win what God has called us to believe for. We can't be lazy but we've mu- or slothful, but we must be followers of them. Who are they? The people in the hall of faith uh, in Hebrews 11, which talks about all those people that through faith they did great exploits for God and they gained the promises that God had given to them. My wife, yeah, she suffered from hypermobility for about 20, 25 years 
And when we first got married, it started manifesting back then. And it was, it was uncomfortable, but she, she sort of dealt with it. Um, but then when she was into her 30s, it was becoming really uncomfortable. By the time she was in her 40s, it was unbearable. She'd be awake at night and the, it was, it's like arthritis, but in reverse. And she was just in so much pain. But over that period of time, God had promised her that he would heal her. And so she just kept standing on the word, you know, God, I know that by your stripes. And so when she was walking and it really hurt, she would force herself to walk and say, no, I walk by faith. I don't walk by sight. I walk by faith. I don't walk by sight. And then God gave her some little things to help her along the way. You know, take this, take this type of vitamin things that she's never even heard of. She looked up and it was a real thing. She started taking that and that helped her. That helped her keep walking. But God still hadn't healed her yet. But God had promised that he would heal her. And she just kept believing and kept believing and kept believing. And then one day we were at a leaders meeting uh, at Kingdom Faith and they had communion. And as she reached for the chalice and as soon as she touched the communion chalice, she instantly felt this liquid warmth just run up into her body and she was instantly healed. And she's never had it since. But she had to do that walk of faith for 20 years. And you think, why God? Why, didn't you, why couldn't you just do it instantly? You know, microwave God. Because actually, it gives a, it's a greater story. It gives greater glory to God. But also, it taught my wife important lessons along the way. Faith and patience. You see, we're always interested in the destination. God is interested in the journey. Because in the journey is where you learn character, where the gritty stuff comes to play. And it changes you and transforms you. So when you get to the, to the destination, you have changed as well. Amen? It would all be so nice when it just to get straight to the destination. But actually, we need to go through those character changing things because that's what God wants to do. He wants to perfect us and change us. Romans 4.18. Let's go back to Romans now. So this is all about Abraham. It's a good chapter to read. Now, in Abraham 4.18, sorry, in Romans 4.18, it says, Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Now, there's some really important things here. <coughs> he hoped against hope. What does that mean? Um, basically, you know, when the world talks about hope, they mean wish. Oh, I hope that happens to me. What they're saying is, oh, I wish that would happen to me. I wish this would happen to me. But to hope against hope uh, is, is going beyond the norm. It's just like he would not have it. He just believed God would do what he said he would. And that was that he would become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. He just trusted. If that's what God said, then that's what's going to be. I'm just going to trust the word of God no matter what happened. If hell frees over, whatever, I'm going to trust the word of God and he will make me a father of many nations even though everything around me is screaming at me that that is never going to happen Romans 4:19 and being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead so the bible's testifying to the fact he was as good as dead. He was 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 99, okay? The chance of this, this promise coming to pass is now beyond the realms of possibility. We're now in the realms of ludicrous impossibility. It's never going to happen in the natural. But it says two things. Firstly, he wasn't weak in faith. And secondly, he didn't even consider his own body. 
He didn't think his weakness would somehow nullify the power and the promise of God. I'll say it again. He didn't consider his weakness to nullify the power of God. But that's what we do, isn't it? We often think, oh, well, Lord, those promises that you had for me this long ago now, look at me, Lord, I'm, I'm this age and I'm that age. That can't come to pass now. So let me, let me get this straight. So you're talking about your weaknesses nullifying and short-circuiting my almighty infinite power. <laughs> yes, amen. This is from the Holy Spirit. This is like coming out of my mouth and I'm like, oh, hallelujah. This is, this is good stuff. Not that I'm a good preacher. It's the Holy Spirit. He's preaching to us today, praise God. Hallelujah. And this is not to make us feel bad. This is to encourage us. It's like, keep running. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter where you're at. I guess it's the same battle in different ways, wherever you're at, whatever age you are. Amen. It's just that we're just in different parts of our lives, but still the same fight. Romans 4.20. He staggered not. In other words, he didn't think that, he didn't stagger it. He didn't think, oh, how could such a thing be? How could that be? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. This guy was a nutter, all right? He's a faith nutter. It's like, you know, he's been going on. You, you ever heard those Christians like, oh, yes, I believe God's going to do this and God's doing it. Mate, you've been saying that for 25 years. When is that ever going to happen? But he just keeps standing there saying, I'm going to, you know, I, I have met people that have come to me. So I don't, I don't judge people like this anymore because I've learned as a pastor long enough that I've seen, I've heard and seen some crazy things in my life to know that I should just shut up. So I remember one person said to me, you know, I believe God's called me to do stuff to the nations and work with the United Nations and stuff like this. And this person was in a university, was a university lecturer. And it's like, this is what she felt God was calling her to do. But I'd learned a long time before, like, just shut up. Just, just go, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll join you in that. I'll believe with you, you know. And sure enough, she's now done loads of white papers. She's worked for the United Nations and all kinds of crazy things and does stuff internationally. So those things came to pass. I just learned a long time ago to actually stop mocking people and actually come alongside people and, 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 and let God be God, yeah? And not give them the, well, let's have some wisdom here. Um, so he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Now here's the key verse, Romans 4, 21. And being fully persuaded. That's the key. Until you get fully, and you and I get fully persuaded we're not really in the realm of faith, we're in a realm of hope. And that's the, that's the place you have to get to. You get, the, you get to the place of being fully persuaded. So you know no matter what happens. I mean, if I said to you, right, you know, tomorrow you're going to lose your salvation, you just laugh at me because you are fully persuaded that that's not going to happen. You are fully persuaded that when you go to the grave, your body may be going to the grave, but you know where you're going. And it's the same with that because it's actually the same faith, the same spirit of faith that you're operating in. And so it's the same thing. If you're believing God for something, you have to become fully persuaded that it is going to happen. Not, I hope it will happen. Not, I believe it's going to happen. No, I am fully persuaded that it has happened. Like when God said to me, I was walking up the hill, stop thinking you're healed and know you're healed. Hallelujah. It's about being convinced that God has done it. Now, Here's the patience bit. Having faith and being fully convinced doesn't mean you're going to get it straight away. Because faith is only a tool. Remember, faith, isn't, faith is a tool 
to enable you to, uh, to have some kind of divine access to God to allow the supernatural to happen. But it's not faith that creates miracles. It's God that does the miracles. Faith is the tool which God wants you to use to obtain from him that blessing or that promise or whatever it is. So faith is a tool, but it is God, not your faith, that produces the miracle. And God will do what he will do as and when he pleases. But we have to remain persistent and consistent and remain fully persuaded, even like poor Abraham had to wait for 25 years for that child that looked like it was never going to come. In fact, the more that he was dead in the sense that he could no way could ever have kids, the more convinced he was that he was going to have children. I mean, he must have been an annoying man to be married to. I mean, just annoying every day. Oh, Abraham, do you quit going on about well, eight, well, Sarah, I think, I think today is the day. And every day, today is the day. Every day is, today is the day. And it's like, oh, man, goodness sake. But she became fully convinced as well because she's written in the corridor of faith in, in, in Hebrews 11 as well. So just to close now, in these days of famine that are now looming upon us, we need to be a people of faith and not fear. We can't because, you see, fear is inverted faith. And fear is actually... It's a form of faith that something has the power to harm you greater than that God could protect you. You see, see what I'm saying there? That's why God doesn't like fear. And that's why he always rebuked his disciples when they were afraid and when they had lack of faith. And some Christians go, oh, no, he didn't really mean lack of faith. He's not really rebuking. No, he is. You know, when Peter, poor guy, he says, hey, look, Lord, at your word, just call me and I'll come out. And the word was given and he knew he could work on the word. So walk on the word. So he was wa- literally walking on the word. And then he started to look and then fear crept in and faith was dispelled and he started to sink. And he cried, Jesus, help me. And Jesus pulled him out. And he didn't go, there, there, Peter, there, you're nice and warm. It's all good now. He went, oh, ye of little faith. He rebuked his little faith. Yeah. God doesn't want us to be a people of little faith. He wants us to be a people of gargantuan faith. And how do you get big faith? Well, the same way as you get big arms. You pick up heavy weights and you do that over a period of time. You develop muscle tissue and muscle tissue and more muscle tissue. And then one day you get big arms and you can lift heavy weights. If you want to be a champion of faith, you start with where you're at. And you keep growing and developing that measure of faith until you can be used by God in the most incredible and extraordinary and sometimes the most ordinary of ways for his name and for his glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.